Amen. Learning to obey uh, Jesus. Let me give you a quick reminder or a a review of what we've already looked at. You remember in session one, as we're talking about following Jesus, we talked about what it means to have a relationship with God, our heavenly father. And that happens through Jesus Christ and the kind of relationship that we have through Christ. And it's by his precious blood that this is made available to us. And then in session two, we talked about the call of discipleship. If we're going to follow Jesus, we need to know what that actually means on his terms, not on our own. And, and then the following week, we talked about what it means to respond to Jesus. So here's his call, but what is our response? And what does the Bible say? Because sometimes we think, well, I'm following Jesus, but we're not necessarily following what scripture teaches in our response, where maybe in our minds or our own relationship with God, we think that's what we're doing, but there are things that he's calling us to do, responses that are in the scriptures, and we wanna make sure that we're doing what the Bible says. And then last week, we talked about becoming like Jesus. And this is where I talked about what God's goal is as we follow him closely. What is God up to? Well, no matter what it is that we seek to do in life, here's what God wants to do. God wants to make you and I like his son, Jesus Christ. And if you've been around here any length of time, you've heard me say this, and I I would love to just walk down the halls of our church and hear it repeated because I think it's something that has been stuck in my mind for many years. And that is Jesus is not just the payment for my sins, but he is the pattern for my life. And what this means is when I look at Christ, he is God and he is man. He is so much more than what that human body contained. Do you agree with that? The Bible says that all of deity dwelt in him. And this is just like this inconceivable idea, but God walked among us, God, the son. And so we are not him, but we're called to be like him as he lived in this world. So we shall be. And so we want to pattern our lives after Jesus Christ. And this is what God is doing inside of us, that old things have passed away. Behold, all things are new. But what do these new things look like? Well, they look like Jesus his nature and his character and his virtue. And so whenever he taught his disciples, he wasn't just teaching some ethereal concepts, he was teaching the pattern of his own life. So he taught and then he demonstrated. And so they were able to actually get a picture of what it looked like to be in right relationship with our heavenly father. He literally lived that out. And so this is what God is doing in our life. So as we follow Jesus, what is he doing in us? He's making us like his son. But tonight I wanna close our whole series on following Jesus by talking about obedience. And we've already simply focused on the responses, the three biblical responses, which are faith, repentance, and water baptism. But those are more like initial responses to the gospel. And now we're saying, what is a lifelong response to God? Well, it is obedience. And it's a kind of obedience that for us, it's not an I have to, it's an I get to. It is our good pleasure to glorify God through obedience to him because we trust him and we love him. And everything that he in his word says to us is right and good. Yes, our flesh sometimes will resist God, but that is in our flesh. We know that truly and truthfully, whatever his word says is good and for us. And so this is how we want to close our series on following Jesus is talking about an obedient lifestyle but let's just shoot the elephant in the room. When I bring up the word obey and I bring up the word obedience, 
I know and you know that it sort of conjures up all kinds of thoughts in our head and it doesn't necessarily seem to kind of set the stage for what relationship with God can often be or sound like. And so Ben, you're talking about obedience. That's not necessarily the word that I use in my loving relationship with God, but it is the right word and it is the biblical word. In fact, the disciples knew this because when Jesus taught them lessons, the implication was, I want you to do what I just said. And so that means to obey. But what is the biblical terminology of obedience? And I wanna tell you what it is because it's right in the gospels. And it's something that Jesus taught that's not necessarily popular, but it, but it is right and righteous. And we focus on it tonight. And this is this term, carry the cross. When Jesus spoke about obedience, he was talking to his disciples about carrying the cross. You will find this in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And here's what Matthew says. This is Matthew's gospel, but it's Jesus speaking. And Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wishes, that word is also desires, to come after me. What are we talking about tonight? Following Jesus. If anyone desires to follow Jesus, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. So Jesus tells us what this actually looks like. This is what obedience looks like, sort of from a macro perspective. In Luke, he adds a little detail that we wanna see. He was saying to them, Luke 9, 23, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross. Let me clarify what all that meant. He must take up his cross daily and follow me. It's a little detail that Luke adds. So here we have now, this is a daily thing that we are called to do. We take up the cross. This is obedience to God. And we do this every day. But we want to land in the book of Mark and we're studying that on the weekend, but we'll probably be months away from Mark chapter eight. So we're gonna get ahead of the game. Mark chapter eight, verse 27, the whole passage here. Jesus went out along with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. And on the way, he questioned his disciples saying to them, who do people say that I am? And they told him saying, John the Baptist and others say Elijah, but others say one of the prophets. And he continued by questioning them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter answered and said to him, you are the Christ. And he warned them not to tell anyone about him. And he began to teach them that the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he was stating the matter plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning around and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and he said, get behind me, Satan. For you are not setting your mind on God's interest, but man's. You, you should underline that in your Bible is a very important thing for the son of God to call Peter Satan. I do not want to be in that same category. Just go ahead and say amen. amen. All right, that was not near what we should have said right there, I'm telling you. <laughs> for whoever wishes to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? Now listen to this. For whoever is ashamed of me and my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, the son of man will also be ashamed of him when he comes in the glory of his father with his holy angels. And this is the word of the Lord. Amen. This passage 
in the book of Mark is about six months away from the final week of Jesus's earthly ministry, the week, the Passion Week, where Jesus will ultimately give his life. He will literally be on a cross. He's talking to his disciples about carrying the cross. Jesus will be on a cross six months from the time that he spoke this. And when you look at this passage, you could kind of break it down in three different ways. The first is Jesus reveals his identity to his disciples. He asks them the question, who do other people say that I am? And they give him, they read him sort of the social media clippings. Here's what people are posting. Here's what people are saying. Here's what people are YouTubing. (laughs) They think you're John the Baptist, one of the prophets, maybe Elijah resurrected. And he says, but who do you say that I am? And Peter gives the right answer. And he says, well, don't tell anybody right now. And so he's revealing to his disciples for sure Yes, I am the Messiah, and much more than you thought the Messiah was. The second thing that he does for his disciples is he reveals his plan. In verse 31 to 33, Jesus clearly says that I must suffer and be rejected by the chief priests and the Pharisees and the scribes, and they're going to kill me. And he tells them up front, six months from now, this is what's going to happen to me. Now, Peter can't even conceive that this is the plan. You literally just stated it plainly that you are the Messiah. Now we know from your own mouth that you're the guy. And now you're telling us that you're gonna die. That is absolutely not supposed to happen. So Peter rebukes him. And Jesus responds by rebuking Peter and says, what you are saying is coming from a satanic mindset because you're not interested in what God is doing. You're only interested in what man is thinking. And so that was a bad day for Peter because Peter was on the wrong side of what God was doing. He didn't know that though. So when Jesus rebuked him, he was doing that out of love because he's revealing to his disciples, you guys, I have to die and I'm showing you why that must take place. But the third thing that he does after he shares with them his plan is this. He shows them his pattern. And that's where we're gonna focus tonight, his pattern. This is where Jesus talks about, if anyone desires to follow me, you must first. Now look what he just did. Look what he just did. He established his identity. He told them his plan, he must die. And now he tells them what the pattern should be. This is what your life should look like if you really desire to follow me. Remember, six months from now, Jesus is going to actually physically be on a cross. If anyone desires to follow me, he must first take up his cross and follow me. And this leads me to a couple points that I wanna make as we sort of frame up what it means to obey God as followers of Jesus. And the first is just sort of a revelation. And this is something that is vital and important to this conversation. And that is this, the cross represents obedience to God. And let me go farther by giving you my definition. The cross represents obedience to God at any price. The cross represents obedience to God at any price. For Christians, the cross represents what Jesus did for us and how he brought total forgiveness. We also know that he teaches the way of the cross is a radical lifestyle for every follower that he has. It's become the centerpiece of our faith. We have it on buildings and clothes, and some of you might even have a tattoo of a cross. But when Jesus spoke about carrying the cross, it absolutely messed with those that hurt him. And you have to think about the mindset that they would have, because in their world, the cross 
was the most painful and degrading form of capital punishment. They had no emblems. They had no bumper stickers. They had no bracelets. They had no tattoos with crosses. What they thought when Jesus said cross was what the Roman Empire clearly did to those that were enemies of the state. And this goes back to the Persians and the Assyrians. The cross in whatever form that it was fashioned was an instrument of death and capital punishment. Essentially what would happen is they would take their enemies or capture their foes and they would put them on the top of a wooden stake that was in the ground. And this form of death was sophisticated throughout many, many years. The Romans were the ones that seemingly perfected this death by crucifixion. By Jesus's time, it was actually normal for Rome to do a couple things. And I will just spell out for you what was typical, which you can read about yourself if you're interested. But sometimes they would decapitate a person and they would put their head on a stake and they would put their body on a cross. And they would also do this on hills. And so when Rome wanted to send a message to a people, they would crucify people. And at times they would even decapitate them and put them up on the hill, or they would put them at the beginning or entrance to a city. And they did this as a message to tell people, you don't cross Rome. So you have to understand the world the disciples live in. When Jesus said, if anyone desires to come after me, he must first do what? Take up his own cross deny himself and choose to follow me. And so this messed with their head. What in the world is Jesus talking about? Because he certainly wasn't meaning that necessarily physically, but we can actually derive a definition of obedience from this terminology. And that is what I've already said, that obedience, the cross is the representation of obedience to God at any price. It symbolizes obedience. this is why Jesus taught this to them. And the apostle Paul would say the same thing in a different way to the Philippian church. In Philippians 2 and verse 8, he says this about Jesus, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. And listen, even death on a cross. He humbled himself. Jesus humbled himself to the point of death even death on a cross, the most degrading form of death. Friends, it messed with their mind and it should mess with ours as well because Jesus is absolutely calling us to a radical lifestyle of obedience and nothing less. The disciples could not have understood in that moment what he meant, but they would come to understand it six months later. The cross symbolizes obedience to God at any price. The second point that we have to see from not only this passage, but the many others that Jesus would teach his disciples is this, we must understand that death brings life. So we can't get stuck in this idea of obedience and death. We have to understand what's on the other end of us giving our lives at any price. And that is death brings life. They witnessed Jesus die on a cross and they saw him rise from the dead. They saw death, bring life. This was a revelation imprinted in their mind, stamped on their heart. Jesus's life was not taken. Jesus's life was given for them and also for the whole world. So the concept of death bringing life was an important factor when it came to obedience. Why? When we follow the way of Jesus 
and we carry our cross. We do what God asks. We follow him into whatever he might say, no matter what it looks like. We know that there is life on the other end of our obedience to God. Friends, I wanna tell you that tonight, that no matter what God calls us to, we know that there is spiritual life that gets released from it. It might take our life, but it'll give his in exchange. And that's what we're looking for as Christians. Jesus would teach them not to hold on to their own life. What would a man gain in exchange for his soul? These were not poems. These were not pretty comments that he was trying to make people feel good about. He was saying, you've got to know I am sending you into a world and they might even take your physical life, but you need to know something that even if they try to take your life, what's really going to happen is the same thing you saw when he got up out of the grave. And this is the reality of the follower of Jesus, that no matter what happens to us, our life given for the sake of God's kingdom will bring about spiritual life in the world that we live in. And this is why obedience can be exciting to us. Obedience can be, you can smile when I talk about obedience tonight. It's not some angry preacher getting mad at you for not doing what you should have done at church. We're talking about when God calls you to something, he's about to, he's getting ready to do what you couldn't do by yourself. We give ourselves. We don't let anybody take us. We automatically, we give ourselves to Jesus and we watch what he will do. Look what the author of Hebrews reminds struggling Christian Jews of in Hebrews 12 too. He says this, we fix our eyes on Jesus. He is the author and the perfecter. Some translations say the finisher of our faith. Now listen to this, who for the joy set before him did what? He endured the cross. How did Jesus do what he did? How did he go through so much pain? We just think about the pain for a minute, it's depressing. But the Bible says the way that he endured the cross because there was joy that was set before him. Friends, he endured the pain because he knew what was on the other side of his obedience. And the same is true for us, that if we start to obey God in our life, we know that it might be painful, it might be difficult, it might inconvenience us, it might even take our life. But what we know is what the author of Hebrews says, even about the life of Jesus. It was for the joy set before him. And he says, despising the shame, he sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. And then Paul, the apostle, gives us some more language in 2 Corinthians 4, 7. Look what he says. He says, we have this treasure. He's talking about the precious Holy Spirit. We have this treasure in earthen vessels so that the surpassing greatness of the power will be of God and not from ourselves. Now, listen, he just, this is not Christmas card worthy, but you've got to hear it in your heart. You know, here's a man who's been through all kinds of difficulty and pain and shipwrecked and thought he was dead before and was raised himself. And he starts to go down the road. He says, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not despairing. We're persecuted, but we are not forsaken. We are struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry about in the body, the dying of Jesus. I want you to underline that. What's he talking about? He's saying, we're always caring about in our body, the dying of Jesus. We're talking about the pattern of Jesus Christ, that as we give our life, it brings life. Always caring about in the body, the dying of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may be manifested in our body. 
For we who live are constantly being delivered over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life of Jesus also may be manifested in our mortal flesh. So death works in us, but life works in you. I want to tell you something today. I've been saying it. I'm going to say it again that when we give ourselves for the sake of God and his kingdom, it brings supernatural life in the world that we live in. And Jesus proved it, the scriptures say it. We have to understand that this is what God does. But let me tell you this, there is a power that comes from self. I mean, it's, it doesn't compare to what we're talking about tonight, but let me just say it to you today. There is a power that comes from self. We're talking about manipulation and control. If you've ever had somebody that was not uh, an above reproach salesperson, there are many salespeople in the room and you are above reproach. But if you've ever met someone that was not above reproach and they wanted to sell you a product at your expense and their gain, and you had that slimy feel that you felt, you felt a certain kind of way the longer they kept talking, the more you got, you felt like you wanted to get to running. You understand? You had that feeling before. It's, there's a manipulation. There's a control. I'm going to try to convince you that if you buy this product, you know, you're going to lose 50 pounds. And if you put this on your head, you're going to have all your hair back. And if you do, you know, I mean, it just goes on and on. You understand it. And we live in a world of advertisements just to make you believe something at someone at your expense for someone else's gain. Well, friends, I want to tell you what, that's not what we read about in the life of Jesus. It was his expense and it was our gain. And he says the same for us as followers. He's saying, it may come at your expense, but it's gonna come at the gain of others. Just as you receive from me, be in this way the same in your pattern of way of life. When you give, watch what will happen. In return, you'll be able to sow spiritual life. But there is a power that comes from self that he teaches us to deny. And Paul said, there's a way for God's power to come through our life. No matter what goes on, all persecution, all difficulty that he faced, it weakened him in the flesh, but it released the power of God. I want you to hear that. It released the power of God. Now I know, and I, I've, I beat a dead horse. You know, I talk about this, but there's just some versions of Christianity out there that kind of present this idea that you and I, the, the idea of tri being triumphant, you know, the idea of being on top of the horse is that we're the ones that are always, uh, we never go through anything hard. You know, we, we always got everything we ever wanted and, and, and God's like a genie. They wouldn't say it that way, but it's like, that's, that's the kind of Christianity that they talk about. Like, you're not gonna go through anything hard. You almost start to believe that you don't ever have to be inconvenienced, you know? And, and God is, if God is for you, then who can be against you? And they, they take these scriptures out of their context and start to make us believe that we're the center of the universe, you know? And I just get so tired of it. And I, and I, and I hope that my, me bringing it up so much that you're tired of it. And you say something back when you hear somebody talk like that. Say, man, you're not living in reality. You don't live a real life, do you? You need to, you need to get a real life. You know, if you don't know what to say to them, bring them to me, okay? But... <laughs> because I don't want people to fall away from God because they get the wrong version. You know what I'm saying? I'm just sick of that. Sometimes people don't fall away from God. They fall away from the version of God somebody told them about, but it ain't the God of the Bible. 
The God of the Bible teaches us something entirely different, that if we give our life, we see spiritual life come. Now, I'm not saying God doesn't minister and heal and give hope and help and provide. I'm not saying all that, but I'm just talking about a version where we also are in line and ready to obey and give ourselves over and deny ourselves. And that's where we see that gratification that comes from the Holy Spirit. We see that release of life that only death clearly can bring. Paul was weakened in his life and yet he saw so much happen in the name of Jesus. And that's why he can say this crazy stuff. I mean, it, it sounds like poetry, but he meant it with all of his heart. He's like, we are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Come on, somebody. We're perplexed. Sometimes I'm a little confused, but not in despair. I don't know how he did it, but persecute, but not forsaken. It was like he, it was like he, gave credence to reality, but then he came right alongside and said it like it was, you know? And that's what he's talking about. See, we've got to have that same kind of response because we know what he knew. He goes on. He's like, we're struck down. Didn't like that. Hey, but we're not destroyed. See, I just love this because he found something on the other end of what he went through because he didn't waste it. He gave it to God. He didn't waste it in complaint. He gave it his intercession. Amen. That's what we're talking about. When we know that our life is about obeying God and we know what's on the other end of our obedience, we won't waste our trials in complaints. It's just a waste of time, friend. It's to offer it to God in intercession. The things that people do against us, we can't let sin against us produce sin in us. We can't just be hurt by people. We got to get hurt for them. That's what we're talking about tonight. People are going to do all kinds of things. And you know what? When we look in the mirror, we have done some of those things too. And so we cannot, somebody's laughing over here, you know. They're like, I remember that. You pick up the cross, you realize that self dies and Jesus lives. And that's what we're looking for. The teaching of Jesus and the early disciples and apostles, it's not popular, but it's life-giving. There's a story that I love. I've shared this many times. I want to share it with you. In 1732, there were two young German men in their 20s, and they heard about a remote island in the West Indies, which was owned by a British man who was an atheist. There were 3,000 slaves that lived on this island who had never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, and the two young men received the call of God to go to this island. However, the only way they could go there and evangelize the slaves is if they would willingly become slaves themselves. So these boys sold everything they had, and They sold themselves into slavery to fulfill the call of God on their lives. Their community and their family heard about this and they went to see them off because they figured that they would never see them again. And as far as I can tell, that's true. They were questioned, they were challenged. Their family was hysterically emotional, so the account reads. As the boys got into the ship to head off to the island, the ship started sailing away and the family could hear the two boys singing. This was the song, you may have heard it before but may the Lamb of God receive the full reward for his suffering. The people on the shore were crying. The people in the boat were singing. Friend, that's the joy that comes when you give yourself in obedience to God. They were willing to give themselves in slavery to reach the 3,000. See, you know why? They weren't giving their life. They had already died to whatever life was in this earth. That's the point, is that you can't take someone's life who has already given it. Jesus, when he came to this world, it looks as though something happened on the day of his crucifixion. But friend, it happened far before Jesus had ever gotten here. It's what brought him here. 
He just went through with it. He just accomplished it. He just fulfilled it. And friends, when you and I make decisions to follow Jesus, a real decision that no matter what comes, I've already given my life. So come what may, I'm gonna obey no matter what. This is what we're talking about. This is what Jesus was preparing his disciples for. We have already given our lives. And so death to self brings life to others. But the last part is very important. And this is what Jesus taught in those very simple verses that we wanna close our message on tonight and focus on a little bit because this is the practical side. Okay, Ben, I've, I've heard you talk about the cross is, is obedience to God at any price. And we've talked just a little bit about how death brings life. These were the concepts that Jesus was working with but he says something very important. That is this, we must choose to deny self. We are not going to see what we're talking about, the the life of God flow through us like a river and touch people around us if we're not daily in a way engaging God and denying self. And this is what he absolutely taught. And did you notice that it says this? Jesus said, anyone who wants to follow me must first deny self. He did not say deny sin. He said, deny self because sin is attached to self, the old self life, the life that is under the management and the jurisdiction of me. All of my sin flows out of a life that is fixed, focused, and devoted to me. If I am the center of my world, you can bet sin is right around the corner. You won't stop it. You can't restrain it. But when Jesus is the center and he is the focus and our life is about glorifying him, we will have less problem with sin because we have less focus on self. When Jesus said, deny self, sin just went right along with it. Amen. So if you want all of your cargo to fly out of the ship of your life, if you want to just kick all of the baggage, you know, I always say, turn your baggage into luggage. Amen. Because you're going somewhere, Dan. That's what we're talking about. You can tell your friends that they go to another church, say, I don't have any baggage. I've got luggage because I'm going somewhere. That's, a, that's something you can have for free. It sounds cool. I really don't know the theological implications for that statement, but if they don't like that statement, then just say somebody else said it, all right? Anyhow, God doesn't want to make you better. He wants to make you deader. That's what he's after right there. He doesn't want to renovate the old self. He gets rid of it. I want to tell you that we're not trying to get better in our life. This is why Paul helps us when he talks about what it means to put to death the old man. Ladies, he's not talking about your husband. You understand, he's not. He's talking about putting to death that old part of you, that sinful part of you. He says, put to death self. He doesn't want to renovate who we were. He wants to put it to death, crucify it. This is what it means. Why? So that Jesus can flow in our life. And so And I would say it to you like this. We can't renovate the flesh. We can only make it religious. That's all that can happen. We can make it a little bit religious. We can sprinkle a little bit of religious stuff on it to make it look nicer and cleaner, but it doesn't mean that it's delivered. It doesn't mean that it really is the life of Christ. That's what we're looking for. And that only comes through what we're talking about, that is to deny self. And can I tell you that, (laughs) I don't know if I get in trouble for this or not, but we just, we're knee deep. So let's let's go for it. I've I've been rhyming, you're smiling. So I'm just gonna tell you what I really think here. And, And that is this, is that I think sometimes, and we're all probably responsible for this, 
I say we all, I don't know who I'm talking directly to, but I'm not blaming anybody. Certainly I could be a part of that in my history. But I think sometimes we want to get delivered from God. Okay? (laughs) We want to ask God to help us and deliver us out of situations that he himself might have put us in. Because we've been asking him for help and to get that inside, you know, sort of excavated. And we're like, I really hate my boss and I really hate this situation and I really don't like being there. And I get it. Sometimes we need to move on in life. I'm not saying every situation all size fits, right? But sometimes we have not prayed through that situation and we just figured because it was hurtful and it was painful and we didn't like there was a sting attached to it and we wanted to be blessed and saved and healed and delivered and we didn't want to go through anything that our prayer becomes and our, we're looking for that counsel to agree with us, but we're never looking up and asking from God to draw on what he would say. Sometimes God would say, Jesus would say it like this, have you prayed for your enemies? Jesus would say, have you done unto others as you would have them do unto you? Have you blessed those that persecuted you? See, friends, we got the Bible for a reason. It makes us all accountable to the same words, right? It's not like you can get a different version of the Bible. I mean, but if it doesn't say the same thing, you might want to toss that one out. But I'm saying we're all accountable to the same book and nobody's an expert at obeying God. You understand? You don't get a PhD in obedience. You just don't. You wake up every day and you make decisions to deny self. And I think sometimes we're looking to get delivered from what God is trying to do. And this is where we have to renew our minds because if we really look up and we're sharing intimacy with the Lord, he's wanting to excavate our hearts in ways where we look totally different than the person that we once were. That's what it means to say, all things have passed away, old things, and behold, all things are new. Friend, do you want some new in your life? It isn't just gonna come by way of train delivery, train Jesus. You know, I just show up, like Amazon. I don't think it's going to happen that way. I think what's going to happen is you're going to be in a conflict and a difficulty and you can't resolve it yourself. And Jesus says, I want you to die right there. I want you to deny yourself right there. I want you to humble yourself, but you don't know. He said, it isn't about what, it isn't about what you know. And it's not even about being right. It's about being a life-giving presence. What is going to bring life there? What is going to bring deliverance and healing there? Not just to you, but through you. You understand when we start to look at life differently, not just what God is doing for me, but what he wants to do through me, it radically shifts and changes the way that we look at everything and everybody. You understand it's, it's not about what I'm getting inconvenienced of. It's what I can give to. So in the midst of seeing situations or being around people that strike us the wrong way, instead of getting offended by them, we begin to ask God who they are and what they've gone through and how we can partner with him and what they're doing in their life. And all of a sudden, the people that have been offending us now become targets of his love and we're partnering with our heavenly father and being like his son, Jesus Christ. And this is why sometimes we've got to stop praying prayers to get us out of things and to ask God to help us grow us through them and our eyes begin to open and we see what the Lord is really doing. This is a beautiful picture picture of how God often works in our life. And as we grow with him and as we grow up in him, we start to see Jesus use us in very powerful ways. See, sometimes when we're young, we think, God, I want you to use me. I want you to use me powerfully. And you know what we're talking about? We're talking about the miracles and the signs and the, I mean, if we're Pentecostal, right? Anyhow, but 
We're not like, Lord, Jesus said uh, in John 14, he said, greater works shall you do and greater works than these. And we're always thinking about miracles flying out of our hands and healings and stuff, but we're never thinking about washing more feet. And we're never thinking about feeding more of the poor. And we're never thinking about giving more of our heart. And we're never thinking about dying more to self. We're always thinking about the stuff that sort of gives us a level of status and makes us feel powerful. We're not thinking about the stuff that brings more death to us, but more life to others. You understand what, am I preaching to myself here? I don't know. This is a good preach though, Matt. You know, it's the right stuff. You know, thank you, sir. Tell you what, no, I'm serious. When I was younger, that's what I wanted, man. I wanted to just preach miracles, signs, wonders. And I'll tell you what, some people preach that stuff. That's all they preach. And I always get a little leery when that's all that I see people preach because they won't preach holiness and they won't preach obedience because you have to die to self to get that. You don't just wake up in the morning and I'm just more holy than everybody. No, no, you got to go to prayer and you got to see God and you got to deny self and you got to give yourself over. And every time you die to self, you feel the pain. I mean, if you pray longer than 15 minutes a day, you feel death to self. Come on, you know, everybody say amen. Amen. You can't pray longer than 15 minutes and not feel something die inside of you. You just mosey on into your prayer life. You got to teach the class then, you know. I'm saying like you feel the death, you feel something happen to, the, to you on the inside and that is good to feel that. It's what I'm talking about is that when you feel death, you know that life is on the other end of that. That's what Jesus is talking about. But see, if we just waste it in complaint or we waste it by focusing on self or we think about what we didn't get, we can turn that thing around and be on the right side of what God is doing. And he takes care of us and all of our needs and feelings in the process. It isn't that God doesn't care for us in that. It's that if he can turn our mind around, he can use us more powerfully. And then when we begin to pray, God, use me more powerfully. Use me more for your glory. We're not afraid of what he might bring into our world. We're not afraid of who he might introduce us to. You might call them grace growers. He might give you a few people in your life that, that become sort of like a thorn in the side, but you don't have to make it that way. You know? So one of the statements that I say is that I don't accept anybody being my enemy. I don't accept anybody being my enemy, you know, because I just want to pray for everybody in my life. So there's some things you got to wake up in the morning and know this is how you are. I'm not a person that gets hurt by people. I get hurt for people. I'm not going to let somebody else's sin against me turn into sin in me. I will not allow that. Friend, when you know that's what Jesus would do, then you become the same thing that you see in him. That's what we're talking about. And we're not talking about just miracles flying out of our hands. I mean, I want more miracles in our church for you though, you know. Amen. Amen. I want to see more people healed and saved and delivered. I'm not minimizing any of that. I'm full-blooded Pentecost. You know, I am not ashamed. I'm not, I'm not saying it's better than everything, but I was born into that. You know, I met Jesus by his voice. I really did. It wasn't a, I wasn't reading the Bible. I mean, I did that later, but he spoke to my heart. I met him really. I mean, I did. It was powerful. It was like a Saul, Paul, Acts 9 thing. And I'm thankful for that. I needed that. Maybe some of you didn't, but I needed that. He needed to wake me up. And I'm telling you that when we pray for him to use us, we've got to think in these terms. I've got to deny self. And so this phrase, what does it mean to deny self? Number one, it means to deny sinful choices in our life. The spirit of God is committed to leading us away from sin, but we have to cooperate through our will with decisions, real decisions that we make. These are decisions where we choose not to gossip and lust and release anger and lie and cheat and all this stuff that brings reproach onto the name of Christ. 
and it discredits our ministry and the lives of other people. So God can't use us as powerfully as we so desire. We can't be lying and cheating and doing all this crazy stuff, even little stuff that we think, oh, nobody knows that. It might, you might, it'll affect our character and our credibility. And so we've got to release those decisions. We've got to relinquish that stuff away from our life and say no to it. We've got to say no to the flesh in a daily way. And we have to be vigilant against these sinful choices that are presented to us. And I don't know what's attractive to you. Okay, what you might sin in might not be something. There are some things I don't even get tempted to do. The devil doesn't come knocking at my door for certain things anymore. He just doesn't. It doesn't work. So that demon doesn't show up. And that thing in the, whatever you play the heart strings, you know, the flesh strings, that I don't, Jesus took that out. I don't have that string anymore, you know. But I, I do have things that tempt me. You know, I get tempted to get irritated once in a while. It happens, all right. Romans chapter six, Paul says, therefore, do not let, everybody say let. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body. That suggests that you have a choice. Don't let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness. Implying that we can present ourselves to this sinful advertisement in our life, but present yourselves to God and being alive to him, alive from the dead, your members as instruments of righteousness to God, for sin shall not be master over you. You are not under the law, you're under grace. What are we talking about? If we are consumed with presenting ourselves to God, we will have no room to present ourselves to sin. Do you hear what I'm saying? This, this is the principle of displacement, is that when we are consumed with God, and we are giving ourselves to him. We wake up in the morning and we're saying, hello, Jesus. We go to sleep at night. We're thank you, Jesus. We're in the word of God, not just to check a list, but we need what's in here to renew our mind and our heart. And as we do that, we notice that God will begin to speak to us. God will want to flow through us and we'll feel and sense the Holy Spirit wanting to do what the word of God teaches. This is so important. And so what we're talking about in denying sinful choices is the way that we first start doing that is not just saying no to sin, but it's being consumed with saying yes to righteousness. And this is called the principle of displacement. Practically, this starts by living a life of prayer. And I always tell people, and I've said it for many years, at least half of my life, that we have to be a people of prayer. It is, it is not negotiable. I, I'm not, it's not something that you start out being good at. It's not something that you start out in your Christian life knowing how to do. We've got to be people that are presenting ourselves to God in a regular and ongoing way. And as we continue to grow one minute at a time, five minutes at a time, he will begin to help us walk in the Holy Spirit. It, it's how it works. It starts small so you can never be discouraged even if you haven't started or you feel like you failed many times, you got to get back on that path of, de of denying those sinful choices. Number two, deny sinful attitudes and perspectives. We recognize these patterns start to emerge and these are attitudes and I would add to it ways of thinking. One of them is self-pity. Now I would tell you this is just an enemy that you and I have. Self-pity keeps all of our old wounds alive. It makes us feel, to feel sorry for ourselves. It focuses us on ourselves, and we're angry and we're irritated and it manifests in us by getting short with people. If you're somebody that gets short with people, I wanna tell you why. It is because you have more of a preoccupation with yourself than you think you do. 
You want things your way and you're not thinking about others. And listen, welcome to the club, (laughs) all right? This isn't a bash party. This is a reality party tonight. This is the way that it works. When we get short with other people, we are not thinking about them. We're thinking about ourselves. And that is a window into our soul, at least in that moment. And he's helping us to move away from that and stop and pause and see people and ask questions and be available to what God would have us to do in the lives of other people. But these attitudes are constantly being presented to us and we don't want to take the bait. So we deny sinful attitudes and perspectives. We also thirdly deny distractions that keep us from obeying God. And friend, this doesn't have to be just sinful things. This can be all kinds of stuff, television, entertainment, hobbies, fitness, building wealth. You know, some people are so focused on themselves. Like, I think you should work out and eat healthy and all that. But like, you know, there's a reason why there are big, huge mirrors at the gym. Am I wrong? I was there today. I did not want at one time stop and look in that mirror. There is not, it was no temptation for Ben Dixon to stop and just be like, <laughs> just keep going. I, it just didn't happen, you know? I was like, I'm pretty okay with blah, you know? It's all good. And I want to get better each day, but my point is, is that you can't, get, some people are so consumed with their health. That same body is decaying like everyone else's. Now I'm saying you want to give some time and attention to that? That's great. But we put so much into the preoccupation of self and it just, it consumes us. We're living in a a day and an age where it's like, take care of yourself as an idol. It's so far, you know, and like your spiritual life is just very little, but your physical life so much. Your hobby life, I've got 10 hobbies. I've got 15 hobbies. I wanna be able to do everything I ever wanted to do. And I grew up and I didn't get to do anything. So I'm gonna do it all in my adult life. No, That's, you can't do 10 hobbies. Everybody say amen. You, can't, you can have one, maybe, you know, two, possibly. But it's, it's I mean, I hate, I'm not trying to say it's American mindset, but it's, there's a sense in which We kind of feel like we can have anything we want, but this is why the gospel confronts us. And it says things to us that the American dream does not sell. And so I'm thankful to live in our country, but sometimes I get a little seduced by being able to have it all and do it all. And I think it tricks me into thinking that, you know, that's, that's the way it ought to be. When Jesus is constantly calling me to places of sacrifice that make it woefully uncomfortable for a person like myself, and I think everybody's in the same boat. So learning to deny these distractions, they can even be things that are good in moderation, but they be, when they become excessive, they take places that only Jesus deserves and they become an idol. And friends, we gotta learn how to smash our idols, not put them on the mantle and worship them. Dan, that'll preach. All right. Number four, and finally, we need to follow Jesus into radical obedience. There are times where you get invited into something that just automatically kills you. <laughs> you know, the devil and Jesus both have the same goal for your life. The devil wants to kill you and Jesus wants to kill you. <laughs> the only difference is that if you take the Jesus route, you get Jesus's life at the other end of that death. That's the bottom line. The devil wants to push us off the cliff and Jesus is pulling us into his life. 
And there's death in that, but there's life on the other end. So that might sound kind of funny to you, but the devil and Jesus have the same goal for your life. They just have different results. Now, I encourage you to follow Jesus' path. And I know that's the one that we all, we all, we all are on. But Jesus said this. He said, pick up your cross and follow me. Do you think his disciples knew what would come as a result of that decision? I do not think so. I do not think that any one of them at the time when they said yes, knew what he was talking about. And that's exactly what it's like when we come to Christ. We say yes to Jesus, forgiveness for when we sin, heaven when we die. He's everything. Now he's Lord. I realize he's absolutely real. I'm going to follow him and give him all of myself. But we don't know what that means in six months. And we don't know what that means in six years. But what I've come to learn, and I mean this in all sincerity, is that he continues to ask for more. And it isn't just because he's trying to put religious baggage on me. It's that he knows something that my flesh always lies to me about, that if you give more to my way of life, to my purpose and to my kingdom, this is where you will find life. And there's constantly a distraction in the other way. You know, I've told about my story with Bridget and how Bridget was a single teenage mom. I've told you she's my hero, one of my great heroes in life, my greatest hero, in fact, outside of Jesus. But she was raising her two boys by herself as a single, um, as a single mom. And when I, when I came along, I, I said yes to raising these boys with her, and we since had a couple more children, and now we're winking at empty nesting sooner than we think. Anyhow, but... I can remember I was at, uh, I worked at this accounting firm at the time while I was a youth pastor and I was getting, we were getting ready to get married and there was a gal there uh, who was in a relationship with another guy and they were standing around in uh, the break room and one of the supervisors who I was kind of trying to minister to quite a bit they called me the chaplain. I was in my early 20s. I was the only Christian. Now, there were a couple of Christians at that place, but they didn't publicly, they weren't interested in being public Christians, whatever that is. But so they made fun of me because I was very open about my faith and they thought, let's just poke fun at them and put them down. And I didn't care. So it was like, whatever, because they would privately come and ask me to pray for them. So I was like, whatever, I know who you really are, suckers. So edit that. But, uh, but I remember one of them said this. This is what they said out of their mouth, just like this. They said, you know, you, you probably shouldn't marry her and enter into a situation like that. That's what they said to me. That's what a supervisor said to me, a person that I'm ministering to. That's what they said to me. And I know what they were trying to say. They tried to say it real nice and sophisticated, like it really mattered. But... See, what they didn't know was that my wife was amazing. What they didn't know was I was getting the better end of the deal. What they, they, they didn't know nothing. But this is what they thought. They thought, there's a situation that you're entering into and you can't possibly understand how much burden you're taking on. You can't possibly understand how much life you're giving away. You can't possibly understand at 24 years old that, that this is something that you're, that you're saying yes to and you're happy about right now, but it's, it's, it's going to take your 20s away. They, 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 their mindset was, 
was exactly what the world sells us. You know, it was just right there in front of me, in front of these people. And they said it nice and sophisticated, but it was still the same garbage that the world sells all the time. See, they can't even see that there are things that we're called to do in life. And I got the better end of the deal, number one, but, but this is what the world sells. I just remember thinking like, that same voice, you, what, you would have me think that what you're saying is wisdom and it's not. But this is what people would say to Jesus. And I am no Jesus. And that situation certainly isn't the same, but I, I recognize the voice coming out of that person. Don't do anything to inconvenience your life. Don't, don't give your 20s to do something noble. You can't possibly know what you're doing. I, I know that voice. I've known that voice since I was a boy. And so have you. But Jesus was challenged when he was on the cross. I mean, here's like, you know, level 10. I'm, I'm level one. Jesus, level 10. He's on the cross. Listen to this, Matthew 27. I'm closing. At that time, two robbers were crucified with him, one on the right and one on the left. So Jesus is in the middle. And people passing by, listen, they were hurling abuse at him. And they were wagging their heads and they were saying, you are going to destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. Why don't you save yourself? If you are the son of God, come down from the cross. If you really are who you say you are, why don't you come on down, save yourself. In the same way, the chief priests also, along with the scribes and the elders were mocking him. And they were saying, he saved others, but he cannot save himself. If he's the king of Israel, let him now come down from the cross and we'll believe in him. There's like four categories of people that are all walking by Jesus, giving his life for them. And this is what they had to say about it. You came to save others. Why don't you save yourself? Some Messiah you are, you're a weak man. You're a weak man. Here you are, get, you're, you're dying and, and, and you say you have all the power and you're gonna tear down the temple and, and you can heal people and you can deliver others and you can do all this stuff. But look at you, you, you you can't even save yourself. They did not know. And what they could not understand was that Jesus was literally giving his life for even the people saying it to him. But he made that choice before he ever came. Friend, he made that choice before he ever came. And that's what we have to do. We may never have a scenario, a physical scenario where we've got to do what our savior did. But listen, some did. But here's what we got to do today. We make a decision now to deny ourselves, to take up the cross and whatever comes across our life that we're not looking to save ourselves. We're not looking to take the cross and throw it off. Cause I'll tell you what'll happen. If you take the cross off your back and you throw it, somebody's gonna get hurt. But if you keep the cross on you and you walk in a death to self way forward, somebody else is gonna get life. Save yourself. I've already given myself. That's the decision that Jesus calls his disciples to make. If you wanna follow me, pick up your cross, deny yourself and follow. That is the way of Christianity. Will it inconvenience you? Aaron, yes. Will it hurt sometimes? Absolutely. Will you feel the death to self? Positively. But will you see real life, the life of Christ flow through you and touch others? You can count on it. That is Christianity. I don't want another version because I want the version that Jesus said. And this is the commitment that we make together. And I'm just assuming 
call me crazy, but I'm assuming that's the commitment that you've made. I'm assuming that's the life that you want. I'm assuming that's the Jesus you're following. I'm assuming that you're already saying yes. And you might be a little uncomfortable, but that's normal. It's okay. When we make a commitment to give ourselves for Jesus, there's a little uncomfort that comes. I told you you're gonna feel a little bit of the flesh rise up. You say, no, you just push it on back down. Go back from whence you came. Wanna see Jesus thrive, is that right? Thanks for listening today. Pastor Ben's mission is to equip the church to impact the world. If you wanna get connected, check the show notes and visit bendixon.org. From there, you can learn about Pastor Ben's other podcasts, the books he has written, Ignite Global Ministries, and the online Immersion Discipleship School.